Ah, sorry about that. I'm not normally late getting up when it's time to preach. I'm normally right here on time. Um, Tracy, have we got that up? Can we do that? Not yet, but are we ready? Give me a few seconds. Um, What I want to do, if you're all up for this, there's a a, a real power, kind of, you know, some things you, you know. Do you ever have that experience where there's something that you know but you learn it to a greater depth. Maybe you realize the importance of it more, or the significance of it more, or the power of it more. And one of those things that I'm, God is just speaking to me on in so many different ways, in so many areas, how it works, not just the power of it, I think I kind of get the power of it. Well, we never completely get everything, do we, when it's to do with God, but certainly in terms of how it comes together, how we do it. And what I'm on about is unity. I'm talking about when there's a a togetherness, the power of a group of people being collective and, you know, together on a thing. In the Bible, it says that where two or three are gathered, two or three are gathered. What he means by that is, Two, as in it could literally be just one extra person other than yourself. The three being or more. You could just phrase that as two or more. He doesn't literally mean we should just be two or three. He, He talks over and over again about unity, that it commands a blessing. But there's also many different ways that we find to be united and that we find to be together. In the Old Testament, the congregation, they would have the reading of the law. And in fact, what they would do is they would stand on the side of two mountains uh, with a valley in between them. And one side would pronounce the blessings, the other side would pronounce the curses. When they, were, when they would uh, present the temple, when Solomon presented the temple, temple, the people would speak together. And in all of these situations, and in the New Testament as well, what we're talking about is occasions when the congregation would come together and they would make a declaration. Yeah. They would declare something that was powerful. So while we were away on holiday and we spent a large, probably about half of our time kind of plotting, could I say plotting in a positive way, plotting with God how we can kind of, what we can do in the church, visionary stuff. The stuff that you can't always do when you're kind of running around and whatever. So we would, I know, plotting sounds negative, but planning is what I mean, yeah, planning is what I mean, yeah, it does sound negative, plotting. I'm assuming you know what I mean when I say plotting. I'm going to stand up here and say, we're plotting, plotting the demise, or plotting this, plotting that. You know what I mean. So we spent a lot of time on the visionary stuff, just thinking forward about where we're going, what we're doing as a church, and, and hearing from God, and, and being able to take that time away, really. And, and some of that is actually what this word is about. Uh, not necessarily about the things that God spoke to us, but about that act of taking time away. Not because we did it when we were away, I've been planning this anyway, and this word is something that's close to my heart anyway, but the, just that kind of going away. Anyway, all that aside for a second, I want us to say something together. Are you up for that? Yeah. Now, what it needs is it needs us to kind of say it in faith. 
right? So, you know, this is a declaration. It's not necessarily a prayer, although you do all understand that the lines between prayer and worship and declaration is blurred. It's not like, that's a prayer, that's a declaration, that's worship, that's praise. Praise and worship are prayer. Declarations are said knowing that God is listening, that God is around. When we pronounce blessings, that's a form of prayer. There's no kind of dividing line where one stops and another starts. Anyway, should we put it up on the board? This is what I've come up with, right? You might like it, you might not. You might think it's great, you might think it's no good. This is what I've kind of, I had a chat with Vicky about it. It was prayerful. And, and it starts off with, I am a child of God. You're getting that up there on the screen. Can everyone see that, yeah? So I am entitled. Think about that for a moment. As a child of God, you are entitled. You have entitlements. If you're part of any family, there's blessings and entitlements that go with that. I am entitled to all the benefits that that brings. Now, I actually rephrased that this morning because you've got two that's in there. That, that. But you know what I mean. Yeah. To all of the benefits that brings. You could, we could drop one of those that's and it would still work anyway. But I'm rambling. Right now, I am ready to listen to all that God has to say to me. I think that's powerful. Because it ain't me speaking. It ain't whoever. In fact, I, I would like all of the preachers to do this. If we can agree on it and the word, and we might edit it slightly and tweak it and just get it right. You might even have a suggestion yourself and, you know, and whatever. But I, I want this to be something that we all say. Right now, I am ready to listen to all that God has to say to me and to respond with faith, belief, and be changed by his word. What do you think? I think there's a power around that when we say it together. Yeah. Do you know the army realized that? Do you know there's a, there's a reason why they march in step? It's about unity. Yeah. They're about to go to battle. And the mar- you think about an army, they spend how many, how many days, weeks, months, years does a soldier spend learning to march in step when you see the, the, the parade for the Queen's birthday and things like that, the changing of the guard, all of that stuff, when you see them and they are so synchronized, they are perfectly in line, that is about unity. Yeah. That is about unity. Even the army recognize, although there's a lot of biblical roots in, even in the army, they understand, they have, you know, they have ministers and so on in it. But you, you up for this? Yeah, yeah. Should we do this? Yeah. Should we stand? Yeah. We can even say, should we stand for this? We probably won't stand every week to do this. You know, but, uh, but let's go for it, all right? Come on, let's say this in faith. I am a child of God, so I am entitled to all the benefits that brings. Right now, I am ready to listen to all that God has to say to me and to respond with faith, belief, and be changed by His Word. Amen. Feeling inspired? Come on, let's do it. Let's do it. Right. I'm going to, I want a, a little bit of testimony, really, to start off with. Uh, many years ago, it was probably about eight or nine years ago now, at least, uh, I was in a, a situation, I'd started a new job. I was working uh, for a, a private school. I'd already been qualified as a teacher. And uh, I know that's actually good news for Wayne and Julie, their daughter, uh, who's coming this afternoon, April. She uh, has just qualified as a teacher as well, so I could empathise with that. 
And I was offered a job in Liverpool, working in a school in Liverpool. It was a private school. In fact, it was a Christian school, although I really debated leaving that bit out. But anyway, and you'll realize why in a minute. Anyway, the, the job was incredible. We really felt it was that God had took me into this job. Um, there were some challenges with it and finance and stuff like that, but the job itself was incredible. It was working in a Christian environment. It, it was teaching. There was Christian kids there. You know, it was just, it was like a bit of heaven in some respects, you know. And, and I loved it and I was thriving in it and I, and I just thought this was great and it was incredible. Anyway, not long had I been there. And there was the head of upper school, which was the section that I worked in, uh, he was a nice guy, and he was, I, I was hearing kind of complaints from him, not about me, but about his situation, that there was another member of staff that ju- just taken a, a, a real dislike to him. Just, and, and we're on about like real dislike to him. He was kind of undermining him. He was criticizing him. He was complaining about him. He was, you know, all of this stuff. And this, I, I noticed this going on for quite a period of time. Eventually, uh, it got to the point where the head of upper school, he, he resigned and, and he left. He was probably getting maybe close to retirement. And I don't know what the ins and outs of who was right, who was wrong. That's not for me to say. But this was just what was going on at the time when I was in that. And so what turned out was the guy who'd been doing the criticising, he ended up taking over. So he, he took over and he became the head of upper school. And that was that, was that and, and we all just kind of got on with our jobs. But maybe I started to notice some things. In fact, it was my classes that would start to notice some things. They would say to me things like, why does that teacher always come in and kind of interrupt your lessons? And why is he always doing this and doing that and doing the other? And I just kind of dismiss it and say, oh no, it's, it's nothing. And then it just got, got worse and worse and worse to the point where... It seemed like there was nothing I could do that was beyond criticism. Whatever I did, however hard I tried, it just got up this guy's nose. And he just didn't like it. He didn't, well, it wasn't, I don't think it was the things I was doing he didn't like. I think it was me he didn't like, to be quite frank. But hey, that, that was the way it was. And, and this, was, this was really, really difficult. I, I found this really a, a, a real challenge because it got to the point where I couldn't leave work behind. Whenever I went home, and some of you will know what I'm on about, some of you will have had this experience, or you'll have maybe a relative who's had this experience. Maybe it's your partner, maybe it's someone else. But wherever I went, whatever I did, this guy was criticizing. I remember one occasion, the church, um, they needed a a minibus to do a school trip. And so our church, we we spoke with Jeff and whatever, and we we agreed it would be the right thing to do to lend the minibus for the weekend to the the Christian school. It felt like the right thing to do. His MOT was coming up, and I I took a whole weekend sorting that out and making sure it was all ready for this. Went in and and drove the minibus for for this school trip and everything like that. And then on the Monday morning, because I had to drop the minibus off at someone else's, I was five minutes late, and he was criticizing me for it. and And I'm thinking, I did like countless hours that you couldn't imagine of extra work and you've not seen all of that all you can kind of talk about is me being five minutes late and so you 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 all know what it's like we've all been through this situation haven't we you know but this got so bad I I kind of couldn't continue with it I I, I was faced with a challenge and I had to do something about it and I raised a grievance against him in the end it just got that that severe and that bad and two things came about from that grievance 
One was that in the end, I, I actually was successful in the grievance and, and the school said, no, you, you're right, this is wrong, what's been going on? And it was kind of brought out and so on. But the other thing that happened was it preyed on my mind. I can remember all the way through that grievance, the, the, the abiding memory I have is of uh, the, our kids were quite young. The boys were maybe six, seven, eight, that kind of age, and Sophie was similar age, and, and the younger ones were, hadn't been born or were just coming along at that point. And I would take them out every evening, and we'd go to the park and feed the ducks and all of that kind, of, and they'd go on the slide. And every evening, I would go out with my kids to take them on a walk, and all that was on my mind was this. I couldn't enjoy being with my kids. I'm like, this is preying on my mind. It's on there all the time. I couldn't get away from it. It was, ma- it was causing anxiety in me. I was worrying. I was thinking, what happens if I lose my job? Am I, am I going to pay the mortgage? Am I going to make ends meet? What happens if, if I don't lose my job and I'm like stuck in this job for the next 20, 30 years with this boss who hates me and I, no matter what I do, I can't do right? And, and all of this stuff going over in my mind and finding it difficult. And my situation wasn't unique, as I've said. And it certainly wasn't the worst situation in the world. Let's be honest about it. There's plenty of people around the world that are going through worse than having a boss that, you know, took a dislike to them. But here's the thing. I don't want to make light of it because I know that some of us have been through this situation. And it is. When you're in the middle of it, that's your world. Is this making sense? You know, kind of what I'm on about. Maybe it was at school when there was a bully at school and, you know, and you were going home and it was on your mind. You were worrying about going back to school the next day. You know, but these situations, they are real, aren't they? And they're difficult. And how do we cope with them? How do we cope with them? Is it a case of we just go to God and we say, hey, God, will you just sort this situation out? Will you just fix this situation and, and just deal with it? God, just kind of, you know, send a thunderbolt and strike that guy down. I, I just get him out of my life somehow and just deal with that situation. Is, is that the way we go? Or do we just say, hey, God, just do a miracle and turn that guy around so we're best mates and it's all fine and everything's great and all of that? Maybe you're in a situation where you've got an abusive partner. Maybe the way they treat you is, is, is wrong and it's causing you anxiety and you feel trapped. Maybe your situation is that you've got debts that you can't manage and you just cannot see a way out of it. Maybe you've got no savings and you're worried about your future and you're worried about how you're going to make ends meet. What happens if there comes a time when you're not able to work and you're worried that you haven't got the savings to, to kind of get through that and to do that? Maybe you're worried about your children. Maybe you live on an estate where where there's gangs. I mean, Warrington, I think, is not a bad area, to be fair, but there's some bad areas in Warrington. There's some areas in Warrington where people can be scared of going out of the door because of the people who are around. And Warrington ain't the worst person. There's some areas in Liverpool, Manchester, some of the major cities, Birmingham, London, where people are literally fearful of going out of the front door. Or maybe they're fearful of the children because they know that the children are being put under peer pressure to get involved with these gangs and they're trapped because they can't afford to move. They can't see any way out. What do we do in these situations? Do we only pray for God to change the situation? What if he doesn't? What if that situation doesn't change? What if that situation that you're in at the moment hasn't changed for the last 10 years? What if it's not improving? What if it's not getting better? Do we, is God wrong? Is that it? Is it only if God t- 
takes this situation, then he is God and he is great and he is fine? Or is it that if he doesn't and the situation doesn't improve, is there something better? Is there more than just praying that the situation will go? I believe there is. And listen, don't misunderstand me here. The point of this message isn't that we shouldn't be praying and asking God to take away some situations that are bad. The point is, that's not the only way to treat God. In the, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of, of, of a situation that's, that's overwhelming, that's difficult, the only prayer isn't, God, will you just take this away and will you just deal with this? There is more. There is more. There is more that we need to know as Christians. There is more that God wants from us. And I'll tell you for why. Because the Christian life isn't just about what we can get from it. There's more to the Christian life than about what we can get from it. But the amazing thing about it is, that could make you think, oh, well, the Christian life then is about what we can give to it. And it kind of is, but here's the paradox. The more you give to the Christian life, actually, the more you get back and the more blessed you are. It's actually incredible in that way that when you take that attitude and you say, okay, I'm going to look at what I can give, what I can do, you actually end up getting more back. There's more peace. There's more understanding. It's, just so, it's incredible what God does with it. Do we just keep asking God, take it away? The truth is there are battles, some battles that we have to face, that we have to go through as Christians. And God wants more from us. The Israelites, he freed them. He freed them from their slavery and from the, uh, the, the, the bound that they were in. There's so many examples I could give you of men and women in the Bible where God answered their prayer. He healed them. He, he fed them. He sorted their situation out. He defeated the enemy on behalf of them. But there's equally, I reckon there's as many were of, of characters, of stories, of situations where those people faced the situation yeah. Yeah. with God. And they overcame. So how? How did he do it? What do we need to know to be successful at this? What do we do? How do we cope? And I reckon the, the, the pinnacle of this is, how do we thrive in the midst of adversity? How do we thrive when everything is going against you and, and everything seems wrong and everything seems bad and it, it's all a mess? How do we thrive in the middle of that? Because Jesus said, I've not just come to give you life, I've come to give you an abundant life. I don't believe for one second that God just wants us to survive and to get through and to be moping around and saying, oh well, you know, it's tough but I'm getting through. No, actually, it can be tough but I believe that God wants wants us to be able to go through that with a peace, a peace that is above anything you could understand, a peace that when you're in the middle of that situation, you're thinking, I feel at peace and it almost feels wrong. Yeah. It's like I'm relaxed and I'm chilled out and I should be panicking. I should be preparing a noose for, for my neck. I should be giving up. I should be throwing it all away. I should be planning my demise. That's not what God wants. I don't believe that for one second. God wants us to thrive. Not just that everything goes right and we have a smooth life. 
But I do believe he wants us to have some smooth times. I do believe that. I'm believing for that. Anyone else? <laughs> Don't forget, we all said together, there's some entitlements that come from being a child of God. But I believe maybe, perhaps the greatest entitlement that we have as children of God is that, in fact, I, I said, I, I've said to a couple of people in the church, I'm I'm viewing the growth in this church, right? Not by the good weeks, but by the bad weeks. So let me try and explain what I mean by that. It's great on the good weeks when everything's brilliant and everything's great. But um, some of us have been here long enough to remember some of the weeks when it's been so bad. The the bad weeks that we're having now are the days that we dreamed of then. (laughs) You know what I mean? We're like, whoa, it would be incredible to have that. And you've all been, you've ever been in that situation where there's someone like, maybe you're struggling finance. Finance is the easiest one because it's numbers, isn't it? And you're like struggling, you're struggling to make ends meet. And you hear of someone else who's got a fortune and they're moaning about like some minor issue that you think, I'd gladly swap places with you. I'd, I'd, I'd give all my problems, I'd give all my blessings to have your problems. Your problems would be my blessings. And I think that, as, so as a church, I'm thinking, actually, it's that easy to, to look for the big wins and the great moments, but sometimes growth is more about the lows, isn't it? Yeah. When the lows are higher than they were, yeah. and you can see that the lows are going up, yeah. the bad weeks are getting better. And in the same way, I believe that we can judge, maybe judge isn't the right word, but we can gauge, perhaps is a better word, our our progress, our growth, how we're coming on in life as Christians and as believers by the bad times and how we're doing in the bad times rather than just in the high five moments when it's all amazing and you just got the bonus from work or the new job or whatever. But no, it's how do you cope in the bad times? When you're going through, whoa, I mean, I don't, I could give so many examples and God doesn't always take these things away. For the Christian, we have a call, a mission. It's to succeed. Part of that mission is like being a soldier. There's training in it. God wants to train us. He wants to develop us. He wants to grow us so that we're able to face the battles. So that when the next one comes, it's stronger. He, he wants to, he, us to be victorious. He wants us to be able to thrive in adversity. He wants us to be able to turn the defeats into victories. Yeah. The key is us knowing which is our bit and which is God's bit. Yeah. It's one of the keys anyway. It's not the major, well actually finding that out is kind of, what I want to talk about. Paul the Apostle. So this is a guy who was a, you'd have to call him a religious man. He was part of the Old Testament crew around the time, you know, that Jesus was walking the earth. And after Jesus died and rose again, and then the church started to grow and expand Paul, as part of the, uh, the Pharisees, he took it upon himself to wage a vendetta, a war against this new church, this new thing that was coming up. He took it upon himself that it was his job to come against this because this was wrong. He could see this was wrong and it needed to be stopped. And so he took it upon himself to take that up 
He, he, and he took his role seriously. He threw many of the believers in prison, in jail. He caused trouble, so much trouble for them. Paul was feared by the early church. Now, I'm not saying they feared him constantly, 24-7, but you mentioned his name, and Paul's on his way, and they were like, whoa, hold on. And they were getting prayer parties together, and how do we deal with this, and what do we do, and how is this going to happen? He assisted in at least one murder, although there was, we, we would guess there was numerous murders, but there's, a, there's one recorded murder, at least, that he assisted in. And he had letters. He, he went to, the, if you like, the established church and said, give me authority, give me letters, give me the power to go and to bring these people down. I want to destroy them. He hated the church, despised the church, couldn't stand the church. But it all changed because the one who tried to destroy, and when I say destroy, I literally mean destroy the church. The one who tried to destroy the church by stoning and imprisoning its leaders, he ended up being willingly stoned and imprisoned himself for the church. When you think about that, he ended up willingly being subjected to the things that he was trying to subject them to. He was that feared that when, he, when the transformation happened, and it was quite a miracle. Some of you will know the story. He's, he's, he's heading off. He's got his letters. He's got his authority. He's on his way to Damascus to go and arrest them and, and basically destroy the church over there. On his way, the Lord just strikes him down, blinds him, and, and speaks to him. A voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in a moment, he's transformed. He can't see for the rest of the journey. They're having to lead him along until he gets to Ananias' house. I should have, it is, isn't it? Yeah. I should have checked my notes. I know I'm, I'm ad living at the moment. And he gets there and he's like, wow, the, the Spirit spoke to me. I've got a word for you. And he speaks to him. And I'm just giving a rough background on the story. But what happened then was he started to tell the church, hey, Paul's like converted. It's miraculous. Yeah. Guess what the church's response was? Wow, that's brilliant. No. It was, no, no, this is some kind of plot, this. He's like out to get us. Whoa, don't bring him near us. This guy, you know, what, what are you doing? This guy's tried to kill us, keep him well away. Obviously, eventually they realized that, no, this was genuine, this transformation. But Paul was utterly transformed, utterly changed. How? Because God showed him. God showed him in that moment, in those moments, in the coming months and years, God showed him just how much he had done himself, how deserving he was of all the things that he wanted others to go through. God opened his eyes to see all, all of his own sins, his own wretched state. For, the, for those on the podcast, I just whacked it, so if that's the big loud bang, I apologise, the mic. He deserved death, and he realized this. He deserved persecution. But more than all of that, more than how bad a person he was and what he deserved, he realized just how incredibly gracious God 
was to him. How God had forgiven him of everything, of all of it. And that grace, that amazing grace that God showed Paul transformed him utterly. In the twinkling of an eye, to quote his own words, in the twinkling of an eye, he was transformed. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, Paul said this, For the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. That was that thing that he said was after he talked about a thorn in his side. You ever heard the phrase, if you don't know the Bible, maybe you're new to Christianity, the, the phrase that you hear, oh, he's like a thorn in my side. It comes from what Paul said in the words leading up to this. He said, I, I, I've got a thorn in my side and I've asked God, I've prayed and asked God three times to take it away. And he wouldn't. But what he said to me was this, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't need to take this away. My grace is enough. My unmerited favor. And Paul found that peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that wasn't dependent upon circumstances. Listen to what he said. He told the Philippian church, he became, his transformation was that great. Paul became the apostle. An apostle in the Bible doesn't just mean church leader. It means leader of leaders, leader of churches. One who had been with God, spent time with him. And he became the, 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 the leader of the churches. And in writing to the Philippian church, he said these words. Don't worry about anything. Just, just stop a moment on that word. Anything. Is there anything not included in anything? There's not, is there? Can someone tell me something that's not included in anything? Well, what about if you've done something wrong? What if you've messed up? What if you've like, you know, you've let the side down? What if you, you, you're like, I'm weak, I'm no good, I'm not good enough, I can't do this? Is that included in anything? It's gone silent. It's gone quiet. Is that included in anything? Yeah. Of course it is. Of course it is. Anything. There's no like, hey, hold on, anything but. There's no word but after that. There's no conditions on that. And there's plenty, plenty of Bible verses we could quote where there's con the conditional. There's no conditions on that. He says, don't worry about anything, semicolon. Instead, 
So he's moving on to a new thing now. He's telling you what to do. Don't worry about anything. Anything. Not a single thing. Anyone worried this week, this year? Let's go with this year. Anyone worried this year? All right. Anyone worried this month, this week, this morning, (laughs) since I got up and preached? (laughs) He says, no, instead, pray about everything. He says, tell God what you need. So don't worry about anything. Instead, instead, do this. Pray about everything. That sounds like all the stuff in anything to me. You still with me, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. This is a formula for worry. Right here. This is a formula for worry. What to do when you worry and when you're anxious. So pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then, now, am I, have I missed something out? And it says, then when God has sorted your situation out, you will experience God's peace. That's not what it says, is it? It says, then you will experience God's peace. Literally, in the moment when you stop and you go, right, I'm going to stop worrying now. I'm going to pray about it all. I'm going to tell God what I need, and then I'm going to thank him. So God is all the stuff, right? God, I need this. God, thank you for all you've done. Boom, worry gone. Sounds too simple, doesn't it? It it, it does sound too simple. Because he says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. But how? How do we do that? Is it just as simple as those words, or is there a little bit more to it? Are there more bits that we can kind of incorporate in it? Is there more things that, is there, does the Bible say more than that? Absolutely it does. A few verses later, Paul tells them to meditate, to think upon, to, to think upon the things the good things that God has done. He tells them, meditate, the New King James Version calls it, to think upon, to focus your mind upon, to fix your mind upon, not on the worries, not on the things that you're concerned about, but on the incredible things that God has done. On all, he says, he goes almost as far, or he does go as far as to say, if there's anything, if there's anything praiseworthy, if there's anything good, anything, think on that. Is there anything good in your life? Is there anything good in your life that you can point to, that you can focus on, that you can think about? Anything. Is there anyone in here that would say there's nothing? Barry, there is not a single thing in my life that is good. Anyone in here? If you're listening on the podcast and maybe you're saying, actually, Barry, yeah, that's me. I I couldn't even face coming to church this morning because I'm not worthy. I couldn't come there. I don't even know why I'm listening to you. I want to tell you this. If you would say to me there's nothing good in your life, 
I would say this to you. What about the breath in your body? What about the breath in your body? Your very breath comes from God. Your breath is the breath of God, the Bible says. All, I, I, I think, I would, I'm, I would, I take it in my mind as far as this. All the air on the planet God has put here, it's of his own breath. It's here for us. Do you realize that you breathe the same breath as me? Do you realize that? We all breathe the same breath as each other. Now, mankind might have polluted it a little bit with, you know, what we've done with the world and whatever and cars and all of that, but all of this breath was given us by God. Yeah. It says that the verses, they go on and on and on. So many verses, if you just look at the word breath, in fact, the word for breath is the same as the word for spirit. Yeah. It's the same word in the Hebrew. And it's generally translated in the New Testament as well. Uh, uh, Rauch, I think it is, R-A-U-K. Um, and, and I should have checked up how you pronounce it. I'm not Hebrew, so forgive me. I'm not brilliant at pronouncing all the Hebrew words. But the, the word breath and spirit are interchangeable. They're interchangeable. The breath, every breath that you breathe, you're breathing in in one way or another, God's spirit. Yeah. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That is incredible. You only have life because you have breath, and you only have breath because God breathed his breath into you. Yeah. And when that breath stops is the moment that life ends. Yeah. That's the moment when that breath ceases, when it ends. The Psalms are full of references to meditation. Jesus taught us to meditate on nature. He said uh, the lilies and the birds and all of these things. Not that we should start to be praising nature or holding nature up as, as God himself. When I give thanks for my food, I'm not thanking the meat and two veg. I'm thanking the God that gave it me. So when I, if I meditate and I go out and I think, okay, Jesus, I'm going to do that. I'm going to just go and I'm going to consider this world and, and the beauty of it. I'm not praising the world. I'm praising the God who made it. I'm praising the fact that no matter what I do or don't do, the sun still rises tomorrow and it still sets. That the seas, even though the waves come in, they go back out again. All of it. All of it continues, and it's not sustained by itself. I'm praising the one who created it, who sustained it. I'm praising God, and I'm putting my faith and trust that my life, my life is in his hands. My life is in his hands. Church, whoever's listening, this world it will put so many things into your mind, so many fears, so many worries, so many anxieties, so many things to focus on and think upon that you've got to stop. You've got to have those moments where you stop, where you literally just stop. You take yourself away and you spend some one-on-one -on -one time, some alone time with God on your own. Find somewhere, find a place where no one can get to you. 
I, I go to the bathroom sometimes because I can lock the door on that. Or sometimes just go out and find somewhere right out of the way and right in the corner of a car park if that's the only place I can possibly find. Find somewhere, get away, find a moment. Jesus said, when you pray, he said, go and pray in a private place where you're on your own. Go and, and be alone with God and go and meditate. Meditate on the good things. Meditate on what you've got. Meditate on what God has done for you. Meditate on who he is. Meditate on his loving grace, kindness, forgiveness, his mercies that begin anew every single day. The mercy triumphs over judgment. That he is a gracious, loving God. That he didn't come to judge the world, but he came to save the world. That you are a child of God. You are entitled to all of the benefits. They are yours. You are entitled to them. That you can go at any time and you can pray and you can come boldly. It says in the Bible before the throne of God. You can come boldly. You don't have to go as a worm. Although I believe in your prayer closet. Sometimes it's good to, to go and to take the humble position. But go there to meet with God. Go there to be with him. Go there to have that moment with him, where it's you and him, where it's you and him. Go there for, to be in your, his strong tower. Yeah. Under the, God loves metaphors. The Bible's full of metaphors. If you think the Bible's the only thing that's full of metaphors, if you've read a good book, it was full of metaphors, I promise you that. But one of the metaphors it used in the Bible is a strong tower. He's like a, a refuge, a safe place under the shelter of his wings. All of those things are when it all gets too much that you can just go and you can do this anywhere. But generally it needs to be a private place. But you can do it on the train. You can do it in your car. You can just, in a moment, you can be with God. You can be alone with him in the middle of a crowd. And the difference between earthly meditation and tai, tai Chi and yoga and all of this stuff is that they're hijacking what true meditation is. Because they're focusing on creation and the body and all of these things. And, but they're focusing on that as if that's God. The universe will help you, they would say to you. Who's going to help the universe? What happens when the universe is struggling? Where did it come from? God's outside of the universe. I thank God that he's my provider. How often do you do this? It, it, you know, it's like exercise, right? If you're trying to get fit and you go to the gym and you, go, you do a, an amazing workout and you're feeling great, I'm done. You know, I'm done for the year. Does, does that work? No. Oh, it's like eating your veg. So you, on the 1st of January, you have your broccoli and your cauliflower and your carrots and all of that stuff, and you go, ah, I'm done now. Off to McDonald's for me for the rest of the year. But you have to keep doing it. It's a daily routine. You have to keep focusing on this. You have to keep finding them moments. I would say multiple times a day. At least three times a day. Morning, noon, and evening. Find them moments with God. Get closer to Him. 
You know, though in those times, you will experience His Spirit. You will feel His loving arms around you. you will, he will speak to you. In them moments when you're just quiet, He'll speak to you. Anyone keep a journal? Anyone keep a journal of the things God said to them? I've got a journal of all the things he said to me going back kind of maybe 20 years. And, and there's dates and times with him. I put the date and the time and everything. The things that he said back to me. Why? Because sometimes I need to go back to it. Sometimes I need to go back and remind myself what God said to me. Because he doesn't lie. And I find refuge in that. His words are a strong tower and the righteous run into him and they are saved. And they are saved. Paul talks about praying with utterings. He's on about praying where it's almost just breath coming out. The words are, are not even discernible. You couldn't even tell what you're saying. If any of you have read and, and read about where it talks in the Bible about praying in tongues, and if you don't know this or you don't have this, don't leave this room without coming and seeing us. I'll pray for you that you have this gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit, it says. And I pray in tongues. Do you know all the gifts that the Spirit gives, all of them are for others. All of them are for others, except tongues. Except tongues. Tongues is for you and others. Tongues is for you. It says Paul said that the mind doesn't even know what the, the mouth is saying, what the Spirit is uttering through you. The Spirit takes over you and speaks to God on your behalf for you. The right words. And every single time, I feel God's Spirit. I feel Him on me. I feel His presence. And I know that I'm safe. I know that there's nowhere, I know firsthand that there's nowhere that I can go and I'm away from his presence and I'm away from his presence. Have you thought about your last breath? Bible says on, on a number of occasions, don't waste a single breath. Have you thought about your last breath? Have you thought about your last breath? We're all going to have it. We're all going to have it. The Bible says on numerous occasions, many Bible men said, with my last breath, I will praise you. With my final breath, I will praise you. That doesn't have to be words. That can just be the life you've lived. You've run your race and that final breath is in peace. And the people who know you and are around you See your praises because they see the fruit of your life because they know how you lived it. Jesus went away on numerous occasions. He got away from the crowds. And this was Jesus himself, God. And he got away from the crowds to find some time alone. Just him and the Holy Spirit. And he was strengthened. He was encouraged. He found everything he needed. And you can too. Paul said to his churches, he said, 
and, and, and I'm sorry, I only remember this verse in old-fashioned, in like the old-fashioned translation. It said, I beseech you, I beseech you by the mercies of God. I beseech you. Church, I say to you, I beseech you, if you're not doing this, do it. You'll find peace. You'll find strength. You'll find answers to prayer. God will give you clever ideas. He'll give you answers. He'll even speak to you with the answer to your problem. You'll find miracles. I promise you, miracles will come from it. Things that you'll look back and you'll say, even if no one else knows, that was a miracle. Are you up for this, church? Anyone feeling inspired? And the final thing, you can, uh, confessions are good. We started off with one this morning, didn't we? Positive confessions. I mean, there's a great way to start. Start with a positive confession. Start with, with, with a confession about God, about who he is. Do you know the Lord's Prayer starts with that? Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father in heaven doesn't start with a request. It starts with a positive affirmation. He's our Father. I'm a child of God with all the entitlements. It's a positive affirmation. Start with a positive affirmation. Then maybe go for the humble bit. Put your head down and and pray and, and ask Him for help and all the things you need. Lay hands on yourself, speak in tongues, cry out, cry, do whatever you've got to do. And then spend time as long as you need. And then end by lifting your hands up in the air and praising Him, declaring His victory. If you're in a stall in the middle of the toilets at work or something, maybe you might not want to shout it out. But just do it under your breath, whatever you've got to do. But just praise him. Lift up his name and lift up your head and come out in faith. Come out bold. Come out strong. Come out as a child of God and go and face the day knowing that he might not have took the problems away, but he's given you the strength to deal with them. And his grace is sufficient for you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.